you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. We'll be looking at Mark 5, 21 through 34. This is right after Jesus had cast out a demon from a man. So he's just healing people, restoring people. So here he is again in verse 21 of Mark 5. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she might be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who suffered much from many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, would you now, by your word and your spirit, just bless your people, Um, even the one who preaches. Lord, help me uh, make much of Christ, because that's really what we need. And we ask it in his name. Amen. So the title of this sermon is Going with the Heart of God. What does it mean to have a mission or be on the mission of God? If you're going to simplify it, if you're going to bring it all down to one thing, what is all of this about? What is God doing? Why is he doing it? Love. Michael Reeves, who is a British theologian, wrote an excellent book called Delighting in the Trinity. I highly recommend you read it. It's not like a, it's it's like about this big. And it's really, really good. And one of the things he says in it is God is essentially and has always been a, a father perfectly loving his son through the spirit. So what is the most essentially true thing about God? What is God at his essence? Who has he always been before he created the cosmos? A father 
perfectly loving his son through the spirit. He's always eternally been a father loving his son through the spirit. He was that before he created the cosmos, before he created the world, before he spoke anything into being, before the Gulf of Mexico and before the Rocky Mountains, before anything, before you, before your great, 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 before Adam and Eve, before he did anything, the stars and the planets and the universe. He is, present tense, and was, and forever will be, a father perfectly loving his son through the spirit. He says that's not true of Allah. Allah cannot be love because he's solo, he's by himself. Love has to be expressed, Father, Son, Spirit. Allah's love is self-focused, narcissistic. But the triune God has always been a father. Think about this. He's always been a father with a son. The reason he created everything was an overflow of his love for the Son through the Spirit. Everything he's ever done has been an overflow of his love. Is that the God you have? That's the God of the Bible. What about wrath, Richie? Wrath is an expression of his love. It's the expression of his love. For everything that destroys his beloved, he will have wrath. Come on, parents. Wrath is what's going to clean the world of evil and usher his world of love forever and ever. It's all an expression of his love. Holiness is not a cap on his love either. Well, we need to back up on that love stuff. Let's bring some holiness in there, right? But the reality is, holiness is an expression of his love because his love is totally other. God is a father perfectly loving loving his son through the Spirit. That's what it means to be Christian, How do we pray? Our Father, Jesus tells us. So what's at the heart of mission? What's at the heart of our lives? What's at the very heart of the universe? What's at the heart of what God's going to do? It's a Father loving His Son through the Spirit. How desperately I need to begin to live out of a premise of God's love, not out of a premise of fear anymore. And in this passage, you see love on fire. It's shocking. And since I am a musician, as Jim said, I like to quote songs. This one is by Bob Dylan, but it was quoted, it's been covered by Garth Brooks, it's been covered by all kind of people, but Bob Dylan's, of course, is the best version, even though he can't sing. When the wind is blowing in your face and the whole world is on your case, I would offer you this warm embrace to make you feel my love. When the evening shadows and the stars draw near and there's no one there to dry your tears, I'll hold you for a million years to make you feel my love. Imagine Jesus singing that. Because that is what he's singing to the world. The storms are raging on a rolling sea and on the highways of regret, the winds of change are blowing wild and free. But you ain't seen nothing like me yet. I'd go hungry, I'd go black and blue, I'd go crawling down the avenue. I'd go to the ends of the earth for you to make you feel my love. That's what Jesus is doing in this sermon, in this passage. Three things. 
We're going to look at the woman who needed love. We're going to look at Jesus who is love. And then so what do we do with that? Then we go eat lunch. The woman who needed love. Jesus loves her to life. Who is she? What's wrong with her? She's one of the saddest women in the Bible. She has a hemorrhage for 12 years. We don't know exactly what that is. But we know that would have made her ceremonially unclean. Places like Leviticus chapter 15, this would have excluded her from all forms of Jewish worship. Which was the center of the Jewish identity. To hear the Torah read, to hear the law read, to recite the Psalms, to be in the community. It was everything. It was your social community. It was your religious community. It was your familial community. It was everything. And she, for 12 years, for 12 years, could have no part of it. She lived in total isolation. In fact, if she did go to a town or any place in society, she would have had to yell out, according to the law, unclean, I'm unclean. People would have to stay within 30 feet of her because to come in contact with her would have made the other person, people, ceremonially unclean. She was a walking, breathing picture of toxic shame. 12 years. Of total isolation. You've kind of getting a picture of her a little bit? Not only would she have been emotionally, psychologically isolated, which would have been hellish, she would have been physically weak to have a, this problem for 12 years. Think about what that would have done to you physically, how that would have affected you physically, this person. Like, and she had spent all her money on physicians that only made her worse. She was destitute and poor and weak and isolated unspeakably sad. There's a documentary I watched a number of years ago with my, with my wife and my kids. It's called A Walk to Beautiful. It's about women in Ethiopia that have what's called an obstetric fistula. Now, phys- physicians, if I am mispronouncing that, I apologize. But it is a... It's something that happens when women face obstructed labor and it does horrible damage to them that makes their life a foul, reeking, painful mess. Most of the babies die. And in Ethiopia, there's no way, there was no way until the 1970s really to fix that. And most women in rural parts of Ethiopia can't, Ethiopia can't get that help. And so they live in total isolation and only the best families will build like a little lean-to where they can just sit in their own filth, totally isolated. One, one quote from one of the ladies, she said, since I gave birth to a dead boy, I live in constant pain. I smell bad. The pain is terrible, but the shame is worse. That's, that's, that's not the same thing, but that's it. That's this woman. And here she is in this town, 
And all these people are crowding around Jesus Christ. And she's heard about Jesus. She's heard because she tells herself, if I can just touch his pant leg, I'll be, I can be better. And you think how desperate she is. And there he is walking through the town and all these people are crowding in and she scurries, this, this woman, she scurries like a little cat. She waits till Jesus passes by. She comes up behind Jesus and she just grabs the hem of his garment. And the hem of his garment would have been, he, had an, he would have had like what looked like a tunic or something like that, like, a, like an outward sort of dress-like thing. But then there would have been another robe which would have hung below almost to his ankle. And that's what she grabs. She just grabs onto that. Do you see her crawling around? Do you see her in the shadows? Do you see that's what Mark is telling us? You see her in the shadows crawling around and sad and filthy and desperate and alone? Do you see her just kind of doing that, just going up there? And Jesus is going somewhere really important. He's going, he's been asked by Jairus, who is the the most important man in that town, the the leader of the synagogue, who, by the way, they weren't big fans of Jesus. And so this would have been really good for business. It would have. If he would heal, this would have been really public for Jesus to heal this man's daughter. This man was desperate. He comes, but, but, but do you notice that Jairus, he comes down right before Jesus to his face, but this woman never would think about doing something like that. This is a picture of us. Maybe not a picture of us physically or outwardly. This is a picture of every human being, the internal reality of who we are. We can't put ourselves back together again. This is a picture of the world that Jesus came into. Do you feel her? Do you see her? Do you know her? Can you recognize her in in your own reflection? Are there parts of you that can recognize her? That sometimes you think, like, surely I can't get close to Jesus. I can't. Look, if I go to heaven, give me a, a double occupancy room with a view of the parking lot. Like, I don't want to bother God with all those things. I just, like, I just, I'm so, but I can't do it. How do I do this? She is like a picture of loose ends. Now let's talk about Jesus. Because this is good. The first thing we notice about Jesus is that when he has so much power, just touching a frag, just a small section of his outer garment, she's healed immediately that's some serious juice people immediately he's the king of the universe walking through this town you ain't seen nothing like me yet mark's favorite word is immediately did y'all know that it's a greek word euthus immediately it's the gospel of action. It's the shortest one. They don't bother with all that nativity stuff. We don't talk about babies. Let's get right into action. Where's Jesus? That's what it is. Immediately. And Mark loves it. Immediately. Because Peter's the one behind Mark's gospel, you know? Immediately it happened. That's a gospel of 
action and power. And 12 years of a nightmare stops on a dime. That's what Jesus did. This is how powerful Jesus is. His love is surging through him with infinite and eternal and unchangeable power. That's who Jesus is. But notice something, and I said this last night. He never used his power just to bow up. He always used his power for healing. He always used his power to reveal something about his love. He was never like a pro wrestler or a rapper that just talks about how great they are, right? His greatness was always directed towards shalom, flourishing. So when he would heal a storm, it would become like glass. When he would cast out demons and the people would become completely normal again. The man that was healed of this demon in the story right before, he is a walking picture of, he's a monster. He's naked, cutting himself with rocks. And then it says that, that Jesus heals him and casts out this demon and, and, they, and then he's, he's clothed and in his right mind. And then the people of the town were really scared then. They're like, what, who did this to this guy? The way he would heal disease. Because here's the thing. This is his mission. His first sermon that he preached in his hometown. How ironic. He, Jesus preached in his hometown. I hope y'all don't want to throw me off a cliff. Of course, my sermon's probably not as good as Jesus, granted. But when he preached in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. The recovery of sight for the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year as the Lord's favor the year of the lord's favor and and me imperfect little rock richie sessions in his name that that is still true right now that's who jesus is for you right now present tense right now for you that's what he wants you to hear not your potential but the liberty of god is for you right now present tense but here's my favorite part of the story i gotta take a sip of water first She touches the hem of his garment. She scurries back into the shadows. And Jesus stops. Who touched my clothes? And we don't know. There's, there's some time that like went in. Is it three minutes? Is it five minutes? He stops. And he says, somebody touched my clothes. Somebody touched me. And the disciples, as always, are confused by Jesus. They're like, everyone's touching you. What do you mean who touched your clothes? Like, ev literally everyone is touching you. And you know, like, they're, they're wanting to go like, can we, can we go do the, what we're supposed to do? Can we, like, we find out later that Jairus' daughter dies. But he stops. Who touched my clothes? And he walks into the street. And, he, and he's looking and he's doing this. Where are you? Where are you? No, that's, that's the question that was asked in Genesis chapter 3 that God's, God's keep asking that question all the time. Where are you? Where are you? 
scurries out of the shadows. Because here's the thing, don't you know she's scared? She's trembling, Mark says. She's physically trembling because she's thinking, I've touched a rabbi. But not a rabbi like this. I've touched a rabbi because if you touch a rabbi, then a rabbi can't do his rabbi stuff. And rabbis were really known for being pretty mean guys, especially to women like this. I touched a rabbi. She finally scurries out, and there she is right there in the middle. And Jesus does the most wonderful thing. Why does he stop? He didn't have to stop. You know that. He's so powerful. People would just like touch his earlobe and get healed, right? Like, congratulations. Welcome. Enjoy that. He could have done that. Like, he had that kind of power. He'd just be like, just stop. He just had that kind of, because here's the thing. He created the world. Jesus did. <laughs> He's going to recreate it too. Because he loves us. But he doesn't have to stop. But why does he stop? And this is the most important part of the sermon. Tune in. Listen to this. The reason he stops. Here's what he says to her. Daughter. That's why. That's why he did it. That's why he came to the world. He didn't want her just to be healed and go off back in the shadows. He called her daughter because that's who she is. That's the truest thing about her. Not her bleeding. Not her sin. Not her shame. Not her past. Not her future. Not all the things that you think you are. Not all the things. This is why it's good news. It's because the truest thing about you is that you are a son or you are a daughter. And Jesus is our brother and his father is our father. That's it. The truest thing about you is not what you've accomplished. It is not your bank account. It is not your looks. It is not your family. The truest thing about you, the thing that you will have forever and ever, the title that you will have forever and ever is son or daughter. That's the meaning of it all. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever would trust in him, even if you just have little bitty pinky pant leg faith, daughter. That's why he did it. He did it for her and he did it for you. Anything else is not Christianity. It's religion. Ain't interested in that. Neither was Jesus. They killed him for it. But the problem is he didn't stay dead. You know, this is what all justice is too. A great African-American leader named John Perkins, who's a living legend with us. He's one of the greats. He said, justice is any act of reconciliation that restores any part of God's creation back to its original tent, purpose, back to its original image. He said, when I think about justice that way, it doesn't surprise me that God loves it so much. Justice includes any act of social justice and any act of restorative justice like the cross. That's what justice is. You know what justice is? It's the world you want. But you've never had it. You've gotten, you've gotten glimpses of it probably when you were a kid and then you thought you had to grow up. 
what Lewis calls the echoes of Eden. When I come home to Arkansas, I hear a lot of echoes of Eden. One day, I'll live in a new Arkansas without cancer, without divorce, without middle-of-the-night phone calls. So what do we do with that? I'll close with this. Why did Jesus go find her? Is because he wanted her to know that she was a daughter because daughters come straight to their fathers. They don't go hide in the shadows. And some of you, in a room this big, I've been in ministry long enough, you live most of your life thinking you're a second-class Christian because of something you've done or something you struggle with. And God wants you to deal with that today. Why? He has the last word on you. West Little Rock doesn't. He has the last word on you. Think about my little, my little Margaret. This is what a daughter's like. I am a rock star. She's 12. I'm still a rock star to her. When I go out of town, and I probably will do, she'll do this, when I go out of town, she makes me like cards and posters, and she puts them on our garage door, the door that we walk into in the garage door, and she says like, Dad, and she has a picture of a guitar and a picture of like all these things that I like and say, Welcome home. And I've been gone for like 48 hours. And when I, when I open that door, Margaret, she jumps, and it's one of these jumps. It's like legs here, arms here, and she almost just knocks me down. She, she just hugs me so intensely. That's a daughter. They come straight to their father. Well, Richie, how do I do that? Jesus is your brother. You have every right. That's why. That's why we do missions. That's literally, that's literally why we do missions. It's because Jesus has people that he wants to call daughter. Daughter, 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 son, son, son. That's it. Because one day we will all be in the wedding supper of the Lamb. We'll all be around the table. We'll all get to sit at the table. All of us together and we'll all raise a glass and laugh at how wonderful our Father is. Because his kingdom is about... Things being put back together. It's about us physically and spiritually and emotionally being put back together. Everything, sin has disintegrated everything. It's about renovation. It's about home. You know that's really what you want. You want home. You want a place that you call home. This is my home. You want a place where people know you and just show up. Here's a little echo of Eden I'll close with. My grandmother, my mom's mom, Mildred Dudney Griffin. Mildred. They don't name them Mildred anymore. We called her Meemaw. Meemaw was an old school Magnolia, Arkansas cook. Black skillet Crisco. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) And she would make a real breakfast every single morning. A big one. Grease just popping, right? Glory. And the men folk, before they would go hunting or fishing or doing going out early in the morning, doing all the things, she'd make a big breakfast. But I I didn't like to wake up early. I like to lie in. 
when I would go to my Meemaw's. And I would, like, I would wake up late. And my Uncle Dickie would make fun of me. and Well, are you going to sleep the day away? But I remember walking in about 9.30, 10 o'clock, 10.30, you know, being about 9 or 10 years old and walking in with my bed head and, and just sort of just walking into her little bitty kitchen. They had a little bitty house down in Magnolia. I'd walk into her kitchen. And she just looked at me in the corner of my eye. She wasn't effusive. She wasn't like, she, was, she said, sit down at that table. And so I'd just sit down at their little kitchen table. And she had saved some sausage and homemade biscuits for me. And she'd put mustard on them. And she'd, she'd heat everything up. And she'd put it right there. And she was already getting lunch ready. That's how late it was. And so she just put it down right there. And I remember sitting there and thinking, I wasn't thinking about it, but now I look back and deep down, I just, she knows me and loves me. I don't have to be anybody for my meemaw. I don't have to be smart. I don't have to wake up early. I don't have to be cool. (laughs) I just have to be Richie. Sit down at that table. That's why Jesus stopped. That's why we do missions. That's what every human being is hungry for, is to sit down at the table. That's the heart of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the good news. We ask that you would just, would you help us be still so that we could hear what you're saying to us, that you love us and that you're for us. And we could feel just a beginning, just the beginning sense of hope. We're going home. And you're bringing home to us. Thank you for being such a wonderful God, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.